You're listening to Wake Up with Patty Catter, where we're overcoming trials with triumphs. Now, here's your host, Patty Catter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I have a really awesome guest. We have Anthony Malone on the show. And it's kind of funny because I was watching Anthony's social media for quite a while and we've talked back and forth and we've had some mutual friends of his on my show. And I thought, geez, you know, I need to get him on the show. And then he kind of went silent for a while. (laughs) And we're going to explain that silence in a little bit here. But Anthony, if you could tell my listeners just a little bit about where you're from and where you came from first, and then we're going to talk about a crazy story that took place with you and the Taliban. Yeah, yeah. My name's uh, full name Anthony Stephen Malone. I am a former member of the British Parachute Regiment, proud British veteran, and yeah, I've spent the past thirty-two years, thirty-three years, working in hostile environments in the military, then the private security sector, and some of that in the intelligence world. And the past 22 years, on and off, about 22 years' experience in dealing in Afghanistan. So with everything that's been happening there, it's been quite an interesting time. Uh, About 10 years ago, I was actually retired. Um, I had come out of all that work. I've got a family now. So I wasn't actually involved in anything to do with government, military, or Afghanistan. But, but then, obviously, um, things progressed a lot, and like a lot of military veterans across the United States, America, and the United Kingdom, we started to receive telephone calls from people who we actually knew, knew um, former interpreters and our former drivers who were, who were all Afghan, who had worked with the uh, coalition forces, for some time, a lot of time in some of these cases. So we took up the the actual call, which a lot of veterans did across a lot of continents. And uh, then we embarked on our little um, Operation Patriot to help as many Afghans as what we could. Um, Obviously, when I re- re- retired, I became an, an author and I wrote four books about the time I had spent. So this was about eight years ago, 10 years ago. Um, I'm a former combat photographer with a 101st Airborne Division. Spent a lot of time with him back in 2002, 2003 and 2004 in Iraq. Um, got some operational experience. We were working in a lot of different countries throughout Africa, the Middle East, including Syria, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, then obviously back to Afghanistan again. So that's basically what I would call an overview of my life. All right. So one of the questions I have right away is, how did you end up with the 101st Airborne Division if you were in another country? Yeah, it was... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I am I am a British national. I'm not an American, although a lot of people, when they... When when they come to my my talks or I I work with them, a lot of them think I'm actually a dual national. I'm I'm, I'm actually not. I do have though a lot of friends, and the Airborne Brotherhood across the United Kingdom, and the Airborne Brotherhood across America, is very 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 strong. 
And I spoke to some of my former colleagues who were in 101st at the time, deployed in Iraq. I made my way into Iraq, then became once in country, I became an embedded combat photographer um, under David Petraeus at that time. So I was actually working with some with, with some people in there that that I actually knew uh, before I actually went into Iraq in 2002. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you were embedded with the 101st. Yeah. Okay, so tell us a little bit, real quick, um, when you were a kid, is it something that you knew in your head that you were going to be joining the military? Because I know in a lot of other countries, it's kind of mandatory, right, that you join the military. But did you... Think about a career in the military when you were younger, or um, how did that kind of unwind? Well, the I always knew I was going to join the military, and I always knew I was going to join the powers because I'm a fifth generation soldier. So me, my father, my grandfather, my great grandfather, my my uncle, my cousins. All of us have served in Her Majesty's forces in some capacity. My uncle also served in Three Power as well. So I kind of followed in his footsteps. So joined the Parachute Regiment. And that that was basically that. Um, with my myself, it wasn't a job as far as I'm concerned. I believe that service to one's country, it's an honour to be able to do that. And I felt it was as if it was in me d- DNA to obviously serve. Um, but that continued when I came out of the forces as, as well. So even though I'm not in uniform now, I still do a lot of work to help homeless military veterans and veterans in crisis across the United States and the United Kingdom. And I do that through a little organization that I actually run myself with my partner. Uh, we call that Patriot. Okay. Now um, tell us about your little fiasco you had more recently um, with the Taliban. Yeah. Well, like a lot of veterans um, and a lot of, um, a lot of Western countries, we could see what was unfolding. Um, across Afghanistan, and now it's the 12-month anniversary where troops have pulled out of Afghanistan. Now, if we all remember 12 months ago, 13, 14 months ago, we could see what was happening. I'm not going to get involved in the politics of, of, of all that. Frankly, I don't care. I'm just a veteran who, like many of us, saw a lot of things unfolding, it didn't sit well with me, and I know it didn't sit well with a lot of the veteran community out there and, and the sub- supporters of the veteran community as well. So after receiving a lot of phone calls from people on the ground in Afghanistan over, over a year ago, I started to help to move vulnerable families and particularly children out of Afghanistan or moving them to safe houses, safe locations. In its entirety, we actually helped over 400 families to move to safety, which was a drop in the ocean, but it was our little way of helping. What actually happened there was 
I was there for three months on the ground. Um, and that, that brought me up to middle December 2021, mm. last year. And I was actually picked up off the street in Waza Akbakan, which is next to the British Embassy, in um, which obviously isn't open now, in Kabul. And some Taliban came came up to me and my colleague. They wanted to check our ID, so we showed them our our passports. Obviously, British passports. We had entry visas in the passports. We had a letter of the Afghan minister, Chambers of Commerce, and other paperwork and identification. So we were in Afghanistan, and we were there in a clean capacity. And we were not carrying any firearms or weapons or anything. We were there purely as humanitarian. That was what we were actually there for. What transpired next was was quite unusual. We were we were asked voluntarily to accompany them to NDS, General Director of Security, their headquarters in Kabul. So we thought it's not a problem. This might take a couple of hours to sort out. They're going to check our identification, check the paperwork, make sure everything's in order. Not a problem. We were put into a vehicle. I got into the front of the vehicle. My colleague got into the back of the vehicle, and we were taken to, obviously, the headquarters and put in a holding cell there. Now, what we thought would take a couple of hours to sort out ended up, we spent six months, 190 days in an underground Taliban interrogation centre in Kabul, which a lot of it was run by, I would call, rogue elements within the Taliban or bad apples. Some of these people just did not like the West at all. And I can say that because I was there. So then my... Little adventure, for want of a better word. It um, it took a few serious turns at, at that point. Yeah, so what were you thinking when you ended up staying the night, the first night um, in the holding cell? Well, I'll be honest with you, I, I, di- I didn't think an awful lot of it. The, um, anyone with any experience in Afghanistan knows things don't happen in Afghanistan. Um very quickly, it does take a bit of time to sort any any anything out there. What would take us an hour in in the West, there might take a day. So the first night wasn't really overly concerned about it. That stretched to a two-week period of time. Then we thought two-week investigation, holders, releases, shake our hands and just say, there's been a bit of a mistake here. Sorry, gentlemen, crack on with what you were doing. Unbeknown to us at this point, obviously, there was a lot of infighting between a lot of the Taliban. The Taliban, a lot of viewers will understand this, the Taliban is an umbrella organisation. Within that organisation is a lot of tribal elements, tribal groups and other networks including the Akani network and a lot of other networks as well, fall under the umbrella of the Taliban. The fact that these people were all fighting each other internally 
not many people in the West realize how bad that is now over there. An example was in the building that we were holding, there was maybe three or four tribal elements that were fighting each other for power in the building I was being kept in. It's not Afghanistan or Kabul. That is the building, just that. So that gives you an idea of the scale of the problem. It was ridiculous because what we were seeing firsthand was an insurgency, which was the Taliban, taking over a country and they were having to make the transition from an insurgency to a government. And what we were seeing firsthand, they were not doing a very good job of that at all. They were ill-treating and beating a lot of their own people. Now, when you start getting heavy-handed with your own population, it's not a good sign of success. So we actually witnessed a lot of this firsthand as well. Mm -hmm. What do you think that the most scary situation was for you there? I think... It, it was it was a bit of an unusual situation because I've never even heard of anyone being in the situation that we were, we were actually in. There was myself, another five British nationals, and one American national were actually kept in the same corridor. So we all spoke to each other. We saw each other every day, and we knew exactly what each other was doing pretty much at all times there. Now... From my personal pers- perspective, after the two-week point, they found out that I was a former British soldier and the interrogator had a personal personal issue with me because he had had a r- run-in with the British Army down in the south of Helmand in the, in the past. So I obviously got the brunt of all of that. Uh, I ended up being, on a couple of occasions, I ended up being um, beaten by members of the Taliban. There was one one particular occasion where five handcuffed me, tied my legs together, removed my shoes and socks and whipped me feet. So they were actually trying to get um, trying to get information out of me. But even the questioning didn't make any sense at all. Turns out me, uh, the interrogator, his name was Ahmed Zaire, very young guy, no experience, not really that intelligent either, because he's questioning. Uh, I actually told him at one point, if you write your questions down, it might actually make a bit more a bit more sense. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. but that was like one example of what they did there. Mm-hmm. Were you able to call home at all while you were there? Yes, um, in a very, again, in a very unusual situation. Every for, for the first two or three months, no, we weren't allowed to call out. Then we could get a call out to our next of kin, which is my my girlfriend, and say every three or four weeks, very ad hoc we will allow maybe a five-minute telephone call with our families. But that was not in private. It was surrounded by um, Taliban. <laughs> so you can imagine, this is like all that was was a proof of life that we are all still alive and just trying to work out how we can resolve it. 
because the Taliban were fighting that much internally. They couldn't even really, we couldn't even pin for the first four to five months in there. We couldn't even really identify who the real key players were to get them in contact and get the British uh, Foreign Office in contact with the right members of the Taliban to obviously talk and get to the bottom of the situation and get us released as well. Like to say this, we were never charged with anything, ever. So they held us for six months without being charged. So we weren't prisoners, we were hostages. Uh, and we come very clear quite early on that we were being used as hostages for political gain by a certain element within the Taliban. Mm-hmm. So what was the response of your girlfriend? Were you able to say, hey, I'm a hostage right now? Or were you just saying, I'm staying a little longer in Afghanistan? No, I'm quite, I'm quite, I'm quite fortunate that my long-term girlfriend has actually, she comes from a quite a specialist background. So she knew something was like wrong. And I just said, I'm being held. Can't tell you where. This is a situation. You need to speak to the foreign office, speak to the other families involved with this as well, and try and help and support each other out there as best as what you can. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So um, normally on my show, I ask my guest, what's the hardest thing that you've been through or one of your trials in life and how did you overcome it? In my head, I automatically think, hello, this has to be her, your moment. Um, but I still want to ask you that question because, I mean, you have had a long life and I'm sure there's a lot of things. Yeah, well, there's, uh, well, um, one, uh, that is a great, great question. I've never been, been, been asked that on any interviews, actually. Um, I couldn't say that there was one thing that was hard. Um, what I will say is I've been in combat zones and war zones on three continents, four continents, and I've seen some of the kind, best acts of kindness and humility while in a combat zone. I've seen some. I've seen humanity at its worst, but I've also seen humanity at its best as well. And the way I the way I've looked at it is what everything I've been through over the past thirty two years has helped to shape me into who and what I I am now. And I'm quite proud that I've still managed to keep myself as grounded as what I actually have. And I think it's important that humanitarian um, that's a big part of what I actually do, whether with homeless military veterans or helping vulnerable families in Afghanistan. As a veteran, it would be very easy, and a lot of the guys and girls who are watching this will understand when I say this, a lot of the veterans we go through hard times when we come out of the services because of what we've seen, what we've experienced. What I've actually personally done is I've used those experiences to shape me into the person I am now, and I've used it as a positive ex- experience. So all the vets who are actually watching this and listening to this as well, if you're going through a hard time, we, we all do. I go through an hard time. Everybody goes through a, a hard time. 
You've got to look at the positive side of, of everything and take one day at a time and go and speak to some of your former colleagues because you'll be amazed. We all go through it, and sometimes talking about it really helps as well. So don't forget, you're not alone out there. You've got your uh, you've got your team members out there still as well. Mm, so important. Um, so tell me about the day or around the time that you found out you were going to be released, or was it just a complete surprise? Well, yeah that that was that was quite interesting. Um, we we were to be told we were getting released the afternoon before. I was getting re- released. A couple of the guys were called upstairs to an actual office. They were told in quite a polite way. Um, they were put in the room next door. My interrogator was actually the guy who was to tell me. Obviously, we didn't get on at all because I told him what I actually personally thought of him on many occasions. And... Where he was supposed to tell me uh, I was leaving tomorrow, he didn't. And he went into a rant about how bad our country is and the West and all that. So I basically told him yet again what I thought of him. That ended up, he threw a lot of things around the actual room. And um, it was the normal threaten to kill me and all that nonsense. I just told him to grow up. And... Um, Basically, he shouted at me and said, your friends are all leaving tomorrow and you're not. My response to that was, thank you for letting my uh, my colleagues go. And I look forward to spending a lot of time with you in the future. At that point, he had an emotional meltdown and I was asked to leave the room. That's great. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't the best thing I've ever done. And when uh, when I came out of the room, my other colleagues were looking at me thinking, you're playing this very cool, Anthony. Have you just been told you're going to leave? I said, I don't think I'm leaving, gentlemen. I've just told him again what I actually think of him. <laughs> so, yeah, so, but cooler heads prevailed. The interrogator was overruled by people who actually knew what they were doing. And the next day, we literally, we were told to get our gear, put in a vehicle, taken to the actual airport. Now, before I left the intelligence building, something quite unusual happened. All of us were called into into a, a room, and I was the only one who was actually given back my... My 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 watch, my sterling watch, my passport, my driving license, my credit cards, wallets. Um, the money that was in my wallet was still there. I was given all that back, and I was the only one to get everything back. And it transpired that quite a senior member of the Taliban had said to me, "You're getting your gear back, and that is a sign of re- re- respect." from one soldier to another. We know we've interrogated you and tortured you, but you didn't say anything on, on the what. And you've given us as much, excuse the expression, you've given us as much attitude and crap back at us 
as what our interrogator has given you. So he said that that is a sign of respect that. Wasn't quite sure how to take that. And all the other guys wanted to know why they weren't getting the passports back. And the Taliban uh, commander just went, no. So that was definitely an unusual one. We weren't deported, or I was not deported out of Afghanistan. Um, we, we, we were sent into the actual airport. Uh, my my visa had actually expired, so they actually renewed my visa on the computer, then gave me an exit stamp in my passport as well. And he shook my hand and said, if you want to come back in the future, it could always be an option. Then we were put on a normal commercial plane. Wow. So. Yeah, definitely not how we expected it all to end. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's interesting. So um, real quick before we wrap up, um, you've written books before. Are you going to write a book about your experience? I have, yes. It comes out on the 8th of September. The reason why I've written it is there's a lot of a lot of talk, a lot of misinformation about Afghanistan, what's going on internally there. And I thought people could actually learn an awful lot about what is happening there now on the ground with the tribal element, what to expect in the near future. I've obviously covered the evacuation in this as well, because I thought it was very important that we give credit where credit is due. And the military veterans that went over there were incredible. They took up the actual slack from a lot of Western countries. And there is thousands of families and children out now in safe countries that would not be there if it wasn't for the veteran community across America and other Western countries. They took up the the actual call as a patriot and they went out there and they've done some incredible, incredible work. Um, The books I've got on my new book will be on my website, anthonymalone.me.uk. All the books will be on there. Um, if anyone wants to have a quick look, have a look. But they're going to get a few surprises in these in in the um, in the books and the new one. So I managed to actually meet members of senior members of the Taliban over there. I also sat down and met senior members of the Haqqani in the network as well. So I had pretty much access to everybody over there. So as a former uh, member of Her Majesty's Army, a member of veteran of the Palestine Regiment, I can see things from very different perspectives, military perspective, intelligence, government, civilian, veteran. And for me to be in a position where I could sit with some of these people, some of the interviews that I actually done with these people I've included in the book as well. And people will find them very interesting. Excellent. And again, just repeat your website one more time. Website is anthonymalone.me.uk. Put that in, it'll take you straight there. Excellent. Those watching, you can see it on the screen. If you're listening to this show, you can go back to my website and look up Anthony's um, show by going to pattycatter.com backslash Anthony 
um, I'm just going to leave it at Anthony. Um, and you'll find his page there with the show information with links to his website and social media. Um, Anthony, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And I know that our listeners are just thirsty to read your book. I can't wait myself. Well, thank you for having me on, on the show as well. And my best regards to everyone over the pond across America and to all the veterans and service personnel out there. A lot of them are deployed at the moment. Stay safe. Thank Goodbye. you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, and be sure to go back um listen to the show, share it with your friends. I have a lot of military listeners. Um, it's an important uh, broadcast to get out. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please head over to pattycatter.com for the latest updates on Patty, her talk show, and what she's up to. You can also find her on Amazon TV and Roku and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Patty Catter. Until next time.